Good morning. Welcome to Money School. And I'm just in the setup process over here. The microphone is set correctly. The speakers need to change. Bring in participants up here and the Q&A section. And participants, and where's my live chat? There's my live chat. All good. Okay. And we're recording. Great. So this week we're talking about debt. Now debt, I would assume, is a big topic for, for a lot of people. Debt is, debt is a topic that has so much, for so many people, there's so much emotion associated with it. And my opinion is that that comes largely from the cultural ideas that we have around debt. You know, there are different religions that really make debt a huge deal. And there are tons and tons of personal finance books who talk about debt as sort of the main obstacle to happiness or to progress or to success. And I bring a slightly different perspective. You all may not be surprised to hear that. Now, as I share that perspective today, it's not that I'm, uh, I'm never trying to give the impression that I'm casual about debt or indifferent toward debt. The difference between me and maybe some people who are talking about this topic is that I try to keep emotion to a minimum, which includes you know, shame. Uh, I try to keep criticism out of the conversation. I try to keep sort of self-hatred out of the process of dealing with debt we have and money we might be borrowing at the moment. So, oh, somebody says, I love this hour of the week. Thank you. That is really nice of you to say. Okay. Let's get some slides on screen and let us chat. By the way, some of you have submitted questions for life coaching. We'll get to that shortly. And I hope you're here. If you're here, get ready to hit that raise hand button so I can bring you on screen and we can chat. So as a refresher, last week we talked about why we save. And I, and it's my opinion that we really only save for two reasons. We save because we want to keep our consumption smooth. And we save because in the long run, we want to make our income less costly. Keeping our consumption smooth means in the event of income loss, or in the event of significant expense growth, like with a medical emergency or whatever it might be, we wanna keep our general consumption smooth and savings can help us with that. In the long run, we wanna make our income less costly. One of the ways we make our income less costly is by putting our money in places where it produces more income. And the more money our money produces, the less money our hours have to produce. So that's what I mean when I say make income less costly. The reason I start our debt conversation with this reminder of why we save is because I want to frame debt in the same terms. So here's why debt is quote unquote bad. Now, the reason I put quote uh, bad in quotes is because I don't want to stigmatize debt and I don't necessarily believe debt is bad, but this is the, this is the phrase we hear in our culture. Debt is bad. Borrowing is risky. Borrowing is bad. So that's why I put it in air quotes. For me, I think there are really only two reasons that people are potentially upset about the idea of having debt or about the idea of borrowing. Number one, it could disrupt our smooth consumption in the future. If I borrow a lot of money or really any money, somewhere down the line, as I'm paying off that debt and as I'm paying the interest on that debt, the increased expense associated with my past consumption in the form of, of principal payments and interest might disrupt 
my consumption in the future. So it does the exact opposite of what my savings can do. And because I think people get, they don't like the idea of having something taken away from them in the future. And because they associate that with a lot of negativity, like, well, not being able to keep my consumption smooth, not being able to live in the house I live in, not being able to provide my kids with the things I want them to have, maybe not even be able to, uh, being able to keep the house that I have. That is a disruption to their smooth consumption that they're afraid of and that they, they don't want to deal with. And so debt seems like a threat to smooth future consumption. That's the first reason debt gets this bad label. The second reason is that in the long run, it can contribute to higher cost of income. Now, what does that look like? By the way, I don't think either of these things are strictly speaking true. I mean, both of these things come from sort of my opinions and my assumptions. But one of those assumptions is if I have large debt balances and if those uh, large debt balances require me to make payments on a monthly basis that are big compared to my, my expected income, then I might hear myself saying things like, I really hate this job, but I got to keep up with my payments. Specific examples might be, you know, I don't really love being a lawyer, but I've got $100,000 worth of student loan debt associated with this legal education. So I kind of feel this obligation to stay in it. And I have to be able to keep up on these student loan payments. So I feel sort of trapped in this job. That's why I say debt could contribute to high, higher cost of income. Those costs, of course, are not just the time that the job or that the income costs. It's not just the... Um, it's not just the, the people that we might not like in that, in the place where we make the income. It's also the actual financial cost of the job. Or I'm sorry, it's, it's like the mental and emotional cost, I should say. Because if I'm having to keep that job, I'm not able to do something else where maybe I would find it easier to think the thoughts I like and feel the feelings I want. So if debt really poses any quote unquote threat to us, I think it's in the fact that it can be disruptive to future income, and it can contribute to higher cost of income. Now, it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to, because not all debt is created equally. I want to be clear here. I don't really believe in the concept of good debt versus bad debt. In the same way that I don't, I don't know how I would define bad debt, I'm suspicious of any definition of good debt. To me, debt is just debt. It's a number on a computer screen. What I have, whenever I borrow money, I probably have some expectation of what's going to change in my life because of that borrowed money. And sometimes if that expectation is increased income, then we want to call that good debt. But it doesn't change the fact that we're acting based on an expectation that may or may not come true. And it's the same with quote unquote bad debt. We are acting based on an expectation of what would be true after we borrowed. And some good things can come from those expectations. We may end up happy with the decision we made there. So let's make this a little bit more concrete. Let's talk about why we borrow. On the left-hand side of this slide, you have different types of debt. You've got mortgage, you've got education loans, you've got cars, you've got credit cards, medical debt, you have business debt. And on the right-hand side of the slide, you have different reasons for borrowing. Now, these are not exhaustive lists. I'm just making a point. But reasons for borrowing include increasing our status, our social status, or our, our perception of ourselves, increasing our earning potential, maintaining our health and safety. We might be borrowing to satisfy some sort of family tradition or expectation. We might be borrowing because of some illness or injury. And we might be borrowing because we have a bucket list of some sort 
And on that thing, we have a bucket, uh, we have items that really matter to us. And maybe we borrow to pay for those things. Now, the interesting thing about the reasons for borrowing on the list is that those are all the same reasons we have for consuming. Status and increased earning potential and family tradition and bucket list items, all of those are reasons that we would spend cash. We're talking about debt today because there's some other factor that, that makes us think that it's not just important for us to consume this thing, it's important for us to consume this thing right now when we don't necessarily have the cash in the bank to pay for it in full upfront. So we'll talk about that more in a second. But what I wanna point out to you is that when I show you this slide, the slide that has the types of debt and the reasons for borrowing, your brain might have wanted to map the left column directly to the right column, or your brain might've started to sort the two columns and say, and evaluate the two columns. Well, I would never borrow for a car, but I might borrow for education. What I'm trying to point out with these types of debt and with these reasons for borrowing is that we actually don't know what any particular person's reasons might be. We might call a mortgage a, a quote unquote good debt because maybe the value of homes increases over time. But it's just as likely that a person is, is borrowing for the home they have. There's the specific mortgage they have right now that might have been more of a decision based on family tradition or expectation. And that might sound like, well, my sister bought a house and it's a certain size and it has a certain look. And yeah, I want that. Again, we're not judging these things and we're not criticizing them. We're just acknowledging that some people might say that they're buying a car because it's a, it's a, a need. I have, I have to get around. I have to have transportation, but a car might just as likely be purchased because it's a bucket list item or because of a status, a pursuit of status. So the types of debt and the reasons for borrowing don't always map universally, which is of course, just Captain Obvious saying, yes, people have different reasons for doing things. But for some reason with debt, it's like you have to reinforce that message because debt brings so much dogma and so much emotion with it by default. So it's like in the debt conversation, we have to say, look, just like with every single other action that human beings take, borrowing doesn't have a universal set of motivators. Or even if it does have a universal set of motor motivators, each person doesn't apply them in the same way as other people. And by telling you that, I'm just trying to disconnect you from preconceived notions, from chronic criticism that you might have of yourself. I'm trying to just, just disconnect that. So instead of defaulting to self-criticism or criticism of others, we can start with the idea that yes, there are different types of debt and yes, there are different reasons for borrowing. Okay. Having said that, I want to see if Rachel is in the crowd. There you are, bringing you on screen. Promote to panelist. One second while I allow, I need to allow panelists to start video. Stop sharing my screen.
Here's Rachel. She's just in the process of unmuting and turning on her video. There you are. Hi. Hi. I can't hear you, but maybe it's because of how I've set myself up. Nope. I should be able to hear you. Any you chance you need to change your mic? Can you hear me now? Oh, still can't hear me. You can hear. This is always my fault. Thank you to whoever that was. <laughs> it is always. Sorry, folks. One second while I sort myself. Okay. Yeah, all of you can hear her. Let me try to test my audio. Sometimes that fixes. <laughs> I was just on Zoom. See if they'll connect. Okay. Can you hear me now? My mic and then can you talk again, Rachel? Yeah. Hi. There you are. Can everybody still hear Rachel? And can you hear me? I can hear you. Yep. <laughs> good to go. And I've got the I've got the good audio, not the terrible audio. It sounds good to me. Yeah. Perfect. All right, Rachel. Uh, in your in your message, you said you said I feel ashamed of my debt and frustrated that we're not making any progress paying it off. Tell me about. Yeah. It. So I borrowed money for a business opportunity, and then COVID hit, and I had to close that business. Mm -hmm. but obviously the debt didn't go away. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm having a hard time moving on and, and getting out of the shame of um, I knew better and I shouldn't have borrowed that money because now my husband has to work two jobs and we're still barely making ends meet and it's my fault. Tell me about I knew better. Um, just, I, I've been educated about the dangers of borrowing too much. And I, I feel like I just made a poor decision in that moment and, um, and that I should have known better than to borrow all that money. Tell me about the decision. What were, what were the factors, um, what were the factors in the decision? I really wanted to succeed in business and, um, I, I found a, it, I guess it was like a business coaching program. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, and as I got into it, like I would get a little bit of progress and then they'd say, okay, now you need to buy another level of coaching in order to get where you want to get. And, um, and I think I just was blinded by this idea of it's an investment and I really want to succeed in business and I really want this coaching. So I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Uh, what kind of business was it by the way? Um, I was working on being a home organizer as well as uh, network marketing. So was it was it a was it a home organization network marketing company? Um, no, I was just combining the two. 
businesses. Um, it was cleaning products and then I was a professional organizer too. Okay. Which one of those required, and I use the word required, you know, which one of those did you borrow to pay for? Um, I borrowed to pay for the coaching to get both of them off. off. It was a program that was supposed to teach me how to, a different way to do network marketing mm -hmm. and some coaching to try to get, to get that off the ground. Um, and that's how I ended up discovering my passion for organizing and bringing that into the picture as well. So it started you, with the network marketing. But you just, you say you discovered your passion for the professional organizing through the coaching program. Yeah. Had you not discovered that you didn't, you didn't have an awareness of that passion before? No. Do you still have passion for professional organizing? I do. Have I just you can't do it because of COVID. <laughs> you must not live in Utah. Actually, I do live in Utah. <laughs> oh, well, I, just, I have high risk kids. <laughs> oh, okay. Fair enough. Totally, totally fine. I was like, cause in Utah, we're just apparently going to yeah. do whatever. Um, apparently I know. <laughs> okay. So, so what's the actual, you've already, I want to point out one thing that you've already kind of identified. Your shame is not associated with the debt. Okay. Your shame is associated with your perception that you made a mistake. Yes. Okay. And that's just, that's just something to be aware of. Uh, the debt can't, can't, can't particularly give you a feeling. Um, debt gets tricky sometimes though, because we will, we'll jumble things up where on the one hand we say, I made a mistake. I was foolish. And you, like you said, I knew better. I was educated otherwise. So that's one set of ideas that's hurting right now. And then on top of that, you get to go look at the debt balance and you get to say, oh, um, other people would criticize me if they saw that or something, or, or only, you know, these, not, these are things you may not be thinking. Some people say, oh, if I have debt, it means I'm, I'm a bad, I'm a bad decision maker, or I'm, I'm careless, or I, we say lots of things to ourselves about those particular numbers on computer screens. And then you've added to that. Uh, also, um, my decision is hurting my husband. So it's just, you're just putting a lot of stuff in that backpack mm -hmm. and carrying it around with you all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think step one is to parse. It's to, it's to separate between everything that's going on right now. You want to put it all under the heading of debt. Mm -hmm. And it's actually not all under the heading of debt. There's a variety of thoughts going on here okay. that individually are causing you some suffering. Okay. How much is the debt, by the way? Um, it's about, uh, probably about $60,000. 60K? Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and you, what do you think about that number? It feels big. <laughs> in what circumstances or, yeah, in what circumstances would that number seem small to you? If it wasn't the only debt we had, maybe. Okay. So there's other debt. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, fair enough. 
having, having gotten the education you've had, how did you feel about the coaching program, by the way? I'm curious, like the, the program itself. Um, I got, I got some good information out of it, but I, it didn't, um, it didn't resonate with me quite as, as well as I had hoped the strategy that they were teaching. So do you, do you feel that they fulfilled the commitment that they made when they sold you the program? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. So there's, there's that clarity. Yeah. And you think that the information in it was useful to you and your desire to be a professional organizer. Yeah. And you discovered a love for professional organizing Mm -hmm. and you're excited to do professional organizing when COVID settles itself to the point that that's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then I've also discovered a passion for financial coaching, which is interesting that I'm here, (laughs) but so it was just another avenue for, um, trying to earn income from home in a safe way, I guess. The financial coaching. Mm -hmm. Do you think there'd be any way for you to make money from home with, as, as an organizer? Um, I think if I had been able to build up a clientele, I could do virtual appointments. Um, and I thought about uh, doing a course on organizing as well and selling that. So just to, just to reflect this back to you, are you saying that you couldn't build up a clientele in a virtual way? I guess I feel like I couldn't. Yeah. Okay. That's a good thing to be aware of mm-hmm. because if it's true, that's significant, but if it's not true, it's even more significant. Yeah. Yeah. So there's some exploring to be done there. Okay. Tell me about the financial coaching. Um, I, um, we discovered Dave Ramsey and, um, I just, I, I just love helping other people, um, figure this journey out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like, okay, we're on a plan. We're, um, we're doing well with analyzing our spending and, and keeping track of our budget. Hmm. Um, we just, I just don't have extra money to check at the debt to really get our debt snowball going. But I love, I've just discovered that I love talking about it and I love, um, trying to help other people get on a budget and, and, and dream about what they could do with, with their money instead of just squandering it away. So Uh, I wish you could, well, I think you probably can't see your face, but I wish you could see your face as you're talking to me, because it's like, if there were like a, an emotions graph on screen right now, it like would creep up as you talk about some of these things. And then you say the word squandering and it's boom, like your face just drops when you say the word squandering. Yeah. And I want to just point out to you that it seems like you, it's pretty easy for you to generate enthusiasm for the things that you have going on. Mm-hmm. But some part of you wants to remind yourself that you're bad because of some numbers on some computer screens. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's powerful. So we're going to talk in a minute about how to pay off debt. Mm-hmm. 
I think Dave Ramsey has done an enormous amount of good in this world. I don't always love how he does it. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I also, by the way, can't claim to know a ton of about exactly how he does it, but something I've heard him say, for example, is buddy, I see that Nintendo switch and I love it. We have one of those. Right at the, okay. <laughs> he's telling me about a switch. I'm all for it. <laughs> okay. My kids love talking about their video games too. So the thing about Dave Ramsey is I did hear him say one time, if you want to get out of debt, which seems to me to be Dave's sort of highest and holiest pursuit, Mm -hmm. you got to get angry. Mm -hmm. And I I remember hearing that and thinking to myself, angry at who or what? And it seemed to me that the only option was people could say angry at the debt. You can't be angry at debt. Okay. The only place you can really direct that anger is at yourself. Mm, okay. Okay. That's my opinion. People, people can and should disagree with me where they, where they disagree. Mm-hmm. But for me, in the moment that I'm looking at that screen and I'm seeing a balance and I get angry, well, where, where, where am I going to direct that anger? I'm either going to direct it at another person, which happens sometimes he or she got me into this debt, mm-hmm. not super productive in my opinion, or I can direct it at myself. I'm an idiot. I got myself into all this debt and now I'm going to anger myself out of it. Right. Or yeah. shame myself out of it. I, eh, not my favorite. That makes sense. And as I, and as I, and as I watch your body language on screen right now, Rachel, my opinion of that is not changing. I want to hear you talk about your enthusiasm for your work and see you sort of physically brighten as you do it. And then I, w- I want to see you pursue that enthusiasm while working with your budget, while building the debt snowball, if that's how you want to change your, change your situation. Mm-hmm. But I don't think the debt deserves the attention you give it. Okay. Okay. Where there's interesting work for you to be done is in really analyzing the decisions that created the debt and asking yourself, what was I thinking and feeling when I took that action. Mm-hmm. Because if you find that you liked the thoughts and the feelings that were present when you were taking that action, I don't criticize the action. Okay. If you look back and say, well, the truth is I was feeling desperate or I was feeling afraid, or I was feeling like I was falling behind. I didn't want to miss out. Then there's something to learn there too. Okay. Yeah. But in yeah. either case, it's just learning. Now, having said all that, I'm just going to sidebar a little bit and say, if you'd like to create more money, chances are you will create more money more quickly if that's what you want to do by focusing on one area versus multiple areas. Right, right. So if you're passionate about the financial coaching, you can absolutely become or be a financial coach while you have debt and while you're working your way through that debt. Yeah. The the, uh, follow my journey to freedom narrative, that story. The internet has proven over and over and again that the world loves it and wants more of it. So you can do that. Uh, Or you could start your your organizing business virtually. Somebody in the chat just said that she's a professional organizer working virtually right now. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it can be done. Ask yourself how it can be done and then you'll come up with good answers. But I would encourage you to focus. Yeah. Okay. Focus on your enthusiasm for your work. Keep working your plan. Subtract out the self-loathing that's associated with decisions you made a while back. Okay. 
Okay. It's a press. It's a, it's a practice and a process when you start to feel terrible again, because you will, I would just, I want to be a voice in your head that says you're feeling terrible right now because you're being unclear about the, the, the decisions associated with the debt. Yeah. And the more clearly you think about those decisions and the more clearly you think about what you're excited about, the more that terrible feeling fades. Okay. Is that a starting point for you? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for coming on screen with me. Okay. I'm going to make you an attendee again. And... going to bring slides back up. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay. Borrowing and having debt are not the same thing. If someone comes to me and says, I feel so much shame about my debt, then I ask them a lot of the questions you just heard me ask Rachel. Where did the debt come from? Tell me about your thought process at the time. What were your expectations associated with that decision to borrow? But once the debt exists, it, it really is just a fact of your life that you then get to decide what to do with. Do I want to pay this debt off? Do I want to write it out, paying the minimum payments for a long time? What do I choose to do with the current balances? Borrowing is a different story because borrowing is now. Borrowing is today's habit, today's action. And if I'm borrowing, then I really want to understand and have clarity around why I'm borrowing. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I, if you go back to earlier money school classes and we talk about studying our expenses, we've also now talked about studying our income and identifying the highest costs, highest perceived, perceived costs associated with our income. If I've really studied those things carefully, and then I look into, oh, are my debt balances at the moment increasing? Am I actively borrowing right now? Then we can go back to our study of our expenses and our income and ask ourselves, what is the, what is the root source of this borrowing in a practical way? Meaning, is the borrowing coming from uh, my favorite consumption habit? Whether it's, I almost don't want to say anything because our favorite consumption habits are so varied from person to person. And if I name any, then people start to sort them into the good versus the bad columns. And I don't believe in that. But what we can do is we can look at our favorite consumption habits and say, oh, if I reduced this particular habit by this amount, then the balance that I've grown on my credit card in the last few months wouldn't be there. So even though I think it's worthwhile to look at our, our, con our consumption holistically and say, what's the whole picture of my spending? there might be areas where we say, oh, that specific consumption habit maps pretty clearly to that specific balance on a credit card or whatever, or on a car loan or whatever it is. So that's why I, as you all go to think about this, especially if you have debt or if, if, if that's causing you some heartache and some headache, start by clarifying, am I just dealing with existing balances or am I actively adding to balances? And then approach them very differently. One is, what do I want to do with what already happened in the past? And one is, what do I want to do with my current set of behaviors and habits?
Corolla, are you here? Corolla, you're coming on screen. Corolla put into the chat. This should be a relatively quick one, but Corolla says, she asked me, Mark, are you consistently looking for ways to consolidate debt or to lower interest rates every now and then? You know, I hear about people refinancing or or doing whatever they're doing to, you know, maybe be more savvy with their debt. So can you hear me, Corolla? I can't hear, hear you, but... Oh, there you are. Perfect. Oh, awesome. Nice hey. to see you again. Yeah, likewise. So tell me anything else you want to tell me about this idea of, of looking for ways to consolidate debt or lower interest rates? Well, maybe for everyone else who hasn't read my post, but what I was wondering is where I live here in Chile, uh, interest mm -hmm. rates are not very stable. And I don't mm -hmm. know if that's the case as anywhere else in the world, but they go up and down. And often I hear from friends or family, like, have you looked into refinancing your mortgage? Like, uh, you should look into that. And I don't know if there's like a point of no return, so to speak, because I know that at the beginning of um, credit, you pay more interests than mm -hmm. um, principal. Mm -hmm. And then it shifts uh, the other way. So I wonder if, if there's some guidelines to to know when it's convenient or a good idea or even worth looking into that because it also has a cost to do that transaction, if that makes yes, sense. That makes perfect sense. And I, and I appreciate you asking the question because these kinds of, uh, I call them optimization games. Yeah. We all, we all are playing some amount of an optimization game with our finances. For example, uh, in the last six months, I refinanced my house. And I'll share my thought process with everybody just because I want it to be clear that it's our thought processes that matter. Really smart people have made spreadsheets and they post those spreadsheets online and they talk about like these break even points yes. where, oh, if you factor in the cost of the refinance, how long will it take you to recoup that via lower interest rate, et cetera? That's wonderful. I, I'm, those are smart people and they've created those and I think they've posted them online for free. I'm all for mm -hmm. it. My thought process was simply this. Interest rates are really low. Um, interest rates dropped at the time. I was looking at interest rates that were like 2.75% for my mortgage. Mm -hmm. And so I sent my friend who's in the mortgage business a text and said, will you run an analysis for me? He sent me something back that said, here would be the various options and how they would compare to your current payment. My wife and I ended up deciding that we had 23 years left on our mortgage. So if we refinanced to a lower interest rate and a 15 year term on that mortgage, we would cut eight years off of our mortgage payback. And we actually chose to increase our payment slightly because right. we were going to cut eight years off the paying off of the house and in the process save, I don't know, several tens of thousands, or maybe it was even, I think it was several tens of thousands of dollars in interest. So that was all the analysis I did. I thought that seems like a pretty good deal. And I went through the, with the refinance. Okay. I only share that thought process with you to make it clear that I'm happy with that decision, but I did not do intense analysis around mm. it. 
Yeah. I was kind of like, mm, yeah, that seems like a pretty good deal. Shortens the loan term. What's interesting about my particular case in this example is there are many very smart people who would say that I made a big mistake when I refinanced to a 15 year mortgage versus a 30 year mortgage, because they would say, Mark, get the longest mortgage you can 30 year mortgage, reduce your mortgage payment. Oh, can you all still hear me? Has my, have I frozen? Okay, good. You can still hear me. I thought maybe I had frozen. Some people would say, get the longest mortgage you possibly can, the lowest payment you possibly can, and take the difference between your higher payment on the shorter mortgage invested into a mutual fund. You'll earn more interest in the long run. And they can show me spreadsheets that show me, oh, look how much money you lost because you chose to take a shorter mortgage payment or shorter mortgage term. And mathematically speaking, I know they're right, but that's the thing about money. It's not really a math game the way we all think it is. It's a behavior game and it's an emotion game. So when I thought, well, I could be out, I, if I don't do anything else, I'll have a paid off house in 15 years. I'll be 55 years old, 56 years old. I like the sound of that. Mm. That was, that was it. So that's sometimes so I, th I think we put pressure on ourselves yeah. to play math games. And to be smart to be smart. Yeah. And um, uh, along the same line, somebody says, what is your opinion on using the smart people to ask the technical questions so you don't have to do the analysis? Do you do that? Yes, I absolutely do. Mm -hmm. So in the, in the conversation that Corolla and I are having right now, if I'm Corolla, I'm going to go to Google and I'm going to search some question along these same lines. And I'm going to read a bunch of blog posts. I'll probably download a couple of these spreadsheets and I'll play with them and I'll yeah. imagine different scenarios. But the main thing to make that a useful exercise is to trust that I'm smart enough to make my best decision. Yeah. And if even in that case, like right now I'm looking into changing my health insurance because mm -hmm. of cost optimization. Mm -hmm. But then I ask myself if that's really the best use of my time and my brain juice. Like, mm -hmm. do I want to spend that effort and that energy in that? Or do I want to rest? Or do I want to work on my business so that it's maybe more or less irrelevant if I pay a little more or not? You see what yeah. I mean? I totally see what you mean. And it really depends on how much money we're talking about saving. I think I've said this in earlier money school classes, but sometimes clients will come and talk to me about different things that will save them somewhere between a few hundred dollars per year and a few thousand dollars per year. Yeah. And depending on the, the total picture of that person's finances, that either could be the smartest use of their time or a, a quite irrational use of their time where I say, look, a few thousand dollars to you, it's really not worth the attention you're giving it because you can earn so much money. You're already earning so much money in other activities. So there's a balance to be struck there. For me, I think it makes sense to take some amount of time each year and do a little bit of, of cost optimization. Mm -hmm. Go through my subscriptions and cancel any that I'm not using. Yeah. Look at my health insurance and see if there's a cheaper option that has the same basic benefit. This sort of thing, a few hours per year, we could all do it no matter how much, you know, quote unquote, rich we are. Yeah. But I wouldn't bog down there. 
I really like that idea. Like I, I, I do like um, a, a review, like a life review every six months or so. Yeah. And I, I really like that idea of incorporating that maybe a few hours to, to do some cost optimization like you just mentioned. Yeah. You, you make an appointment with yourself to do a few hours worth of that work. Yeah. And then when it's over, you just stop thinking about it until you have that appointment again a year later. Yes. I love that. Thank you. Thank you, Corolla. Such great questions. And it's fun to see you again. Yeah. Likewise. Okay. Talk to you soon. Okay, folks, good stuff coming in through the chat. Real quick, someone says, what if, what if my husband and I view debt so differently, but he earns the money, so I feel like we always settle with his opinion. Maybe I need to change my thoughts about debt to align with his. Thank you, whoever you are, for bringing that up. Next week, we're going to talk about money and relationships. The thing I would point out to you, and I think you've already identified this, is that your question is not really a debt question. It's a relationship question. It's about the disconnect between your thoughts and feelings and his thoughts and feelings, if there is a disconnect. So once you sort out that, that uh, disparity between the, the, your thoughts and feelings and his, then the debt questions actually become pretty simple to answer. But we will talk about that next week. Somebody else says, Mark, what are your thoughts on credit card balance transfers at 0%? On my personal experience, they lead to more debt accumulated over time. So yeah, great, great question. Um, and Corolla kind of brought this up when she talked about debt consolidation. So thank you for reminding me because that was an important part of Corolla's question. I like streamlining debt. I like consolidating or simplifying debt if we've already solved the borrowing problem. I'm sorry for calling it a problem. I try to keep those kinds of words out of this, but if we've solved the, if we've answered the question around borrowing, what is, what is creating borrowing in my life? Once that question is answered, then balance transfers and consolidation. Consolidation, by the way, is consolidation companies should typically be viewed with a lot of suspicion. Debt snowballing, which is something you can Google, will probably do most of the work that a consolidation will do, minus fees. And there's just sort of some things to be aware of with consolidation schemes. But if someone says, I have high, high interest credit card debt, I want to move it to lower interest rates and I'm all for that. If we are, are already clear on, is there borrowing happening right now? But to your point, and you, you made this point, sometimes we, we play the balance transfer game without having answered the borrowing question. And then we just find ourselves in more debt. Again, uh, some of you may have read my email the other night that it, I called it something like uh, when getting out of debt isn't getting ahead. And I told my story about how I made this you know, Herculean effort to pay off 80 something thousand dollars in 18 months. And I was very proud of myself. It really did feel amazing, but I was sort of, there was some amount of self-deception there because I put so much focus on zeroing out those balances that I hadn't developed other habits. I hadn't answered the borrowing question in my own life. So within a couple of years, I found myself back into balances that were several tens of thousands of dollars with the IRS, with my current business startup, et cetera. So answer the borrowing question first, why am I borrowing? How much am I borrowing? Then you can start to look at consolidation and streamlining games like balance transfers. Let's jump back to this slide, how to get out of debt. You create and sustain a cash surplus. 
Now we already talked about the wonderful nerds on the internet who make amazing spreadsheets. I aspire to be them. I love their spreadsheets, but I want to keep their spreadsheets in context. When you hear people getting very, very specific about rank your credit cards by how much interest is on each one, the interest rate, and then blah, 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 and then compare that to this and run the calculation. Sure, or create and sustain a cash surplus, let that cash surplus swallow the debt. That's, that's pretty much it. I will say, and I put this in one of my emails this week, one of my favorite ways to think about debt elimination is its impact on cash flow more than interest rate games. So for example, on, on the, in the email, I said, my, my balance on my car right now, and it's funny that I have a balance on my car because it shows that I'm an irrational animal because I have the money in the bank that I could pay off the car with, but I noticed myself not doing it. That's interesting. But my balance on my credit on my car right now is about 10 grand. The payment is just under 700. So I could buy $700 a month for $10,000. My mortgage balance is in the 200,000 range. The payment is about 1800. I could buy 1800, but it would cost me 200,000. In other words, that 1800 is a lot more expensive than the 700 I could buy, I could purchase by paying off the car. But in either case, if I create and sustain a cash surplus, it swallows up the car loan, it swallows up the mortgage, it swallows up my long-term savings goals. My job is to do what's on the screen now. You saw this slide. You saw this slide in last week's class on savings. And we have our income arrow and it's up and to the right. The income is growing over time. We have our expenses arrow and the expenses are up and to the right. They're growing over time, but they're not growing as fast as the income. And as I pointed out last week, the essence of personal finance is to create and, and sustain that positive gap between income and expenses. And if I want to have no debt, if I want to see those numbers on the computer screen go to zero, then I increase my surplus. That can come from increasing my income relative to my expenses. It can come from decreasing my expenses relative to my income. It can come from increasing my expenses and, or sorry, increasing my income and decreasing my expenses at the same time, which expands that surplus. And then I can do whatever I want with that surplus. I can increase consumption. I can increase saving, which is, I like to call increasing, increasing future consumption, or I can decrease debt. It's the surplus that matters, guys. So anytime in the future, any of you are interacting with me and you're asking me technical questions about saving for this or paying off that, I'm just going to say, hey, how's your surplus? Is it growing? No, my surplus isn't growing. Oh, well, go grow your surplus. If you can, there are life circumstances in which for periods of time, it's hard or impossible to grow our surpluses. But if I can grow my surplus, I can do whatever else I want. That's why I've told you before, and I'll just keep saying it, income is the biggest, most powerful lever in personal finance. The second biggest and most powerful lever is desire expressed as expenses, because if I hold my desire constant or decrease it, then that facilitates a bigger surplus or a, or a growing surplus over time. But don't get bogged down in technicalities. Going all the way back to you, Rachel, that we talked about at the beginning of the call, you said you got $60,000 in debt associated with your, your sort of business startup, and you said you have other debt too. Okay. Download a spreadsheet from some friendly nerd, plug the numbers in, 
Then having done that, go grow your income while holding your expenses relatively constant and just watch that, that growing surplus swallow up those balances. Stephanie, are you here? Stephanie K. There you are. Come on screen. Hi. Hi. Nice to meet you. Good to meet you. Sorry, I was multitasking. I was all doing dishes and thinking it wasn't <laughs> going to be me today. So let me, oh, we got let me time get in position. Too. All right. So everybody, everybody, Stephanie says, I believe having any debt besides house and business debt means I'm failing financially. To feel financially successful, I need all balances to be at zero. It actually has become kind of a spirituality gauge as well. Oh, yeah. Let's just... Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> okay. fun. I apologize for the laughter. Here's no, where the laughter is coming I, from. Totally. I, you can laugh all you want about it because it's well, kind of a funny thing to realize lately. Here's what I'm laughing. I'm laughing at all of us as humans and the way sometimes when we're really committed to feeling a certain way about ourselves, we will just keep hunting for evidence that we can pile onto the belief. So definitely, you've taken like, well, financial success uh, zero balances equals financial success. And you're like, I'm going to double down spiritual success. Totally comes from zero balances. Yeah. So let's make decisions from that place. That's real great. <laughs> like, it's like this backpack weighs a hundred pounds. I think I could get 250 pounds in it though. Right. Let's put it in right. There. Let's just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about it. Tell me about, I'm, I'm particularly curious about the the spiritual success being tied to having no debt. Well, I mean, so I'm LDS. And so it comes from, you know, just growing up with the whole idea of, you know, stay out of debt, right? That's one of your best things that you can do to be um, self-reliant and to prepare for the future is to not have debt. And then add to that, I graduated from BYU in finance, right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of, so it was an interesting education in that, you know, I mean, I also worked in the corporate world. So I understand debt. We own our own dental practice, you know, had to go into debt for that. And we use debt for various things with that um, business. But there is just that element of it needs to be avoided at all costs so that I can follow the profit, right? That's one aspect of it, right? Mm -hmm. I'm following the mm -hmm. profit when I stay out of debt. But then also, you know, it goes into then good things will happen when I stay out of debt. <laughs> but why and funnily isn't... enough we just um got a car where we financed a portion of it just this week and so i am freaking out because what does it mean um that i failed right because then there's yeah. that the dave ramsey in my head we haven't had a car payment for six years yeah and i'm like well i we bought over what we should have because i only put half of the money down for the car and we should have just you know stayed within that and not finance the rest of it. But then I try to find evidence. Oh, but it was 0%. I mean, so it's this crazy, like yes. I'm trying to justify the debt that I think is so evil because now I've done this thing that is, you know, meaning I'm not successful financially and spiritually. 
A word that gets thrown around a lot in the Christian world, in our world, is the word steward and stewardship. Yes, yes. And uh, I've noticed that I'm not accustomed to seeing that word in a positive context, meaning if I hear people referring themselves to themselves as stewards, it's usually that they're referring to themselves as a bad one. I'm right. not, a, I'm not a good steward. It's like, Oh, how heavy is that Bible? I'm just going to like lay, I'm going to carry this, this, right. it's like, I'm going to carry it around with me. And it's like, I, so this isn't a religious conversation, but I think there are really interesting conversations to be had around debt as a concept and around uh, yeah. bondage and around how that debt gets paid and who pays it. Very interesting conversations to be had there. In, a, in the financial realm, it just doesn't seem to be doing any of us any good. No. Mm -mm. That doesn't, again, like I said at the top of the call, it doesn't mean I'm casual or, or careless or disinterest, uh, disinterested about debt. And it's not that I tell people to go, to go borrow money loosely. It's that I just am not finding any evidence that anyone is happier because they loaded the financial concept of debt with spiritual implications. Right. I will say that if my, if my debt gets big enough, I might find it hard to be the person I want to be spiritually because my brain is mm -hmm. so full of having to deal with these payments and juggling them. For sure. For sure. Which then makes you, yeah, makes you behave in a way that is not how you are striving to be for sure. Totally yeah. agree. And that's if, I don't speak for the leadership of our church or anybody else's church, right. but I think right. if I'm in the leadership of our church and I'm thinking, how do I help people maximize their opportunity for feeling great spiritually and giving the service they want to give? Mm -hmm. If I, if they don't have any debt, it probably improves their chances. Right. So I'm going to give advice with sort of no nuance whatsoever and just say, avoid okay. debt. Yes. Yes. And that totally is fascinating because then, I don't know, I just think that kind of opens, opens the door a little bit. Like, yeah, I don't want to pile myself up with debt, but also can I look at it or can I look at that guidance as a way of, is this preventing me from living the Christ-like life that I am trying to live? Yes. No. You know what I mean? It's not right. this car payment that I just acquired. No, it's not. It's actually really not impacting you know, it's impacting our surplus a bit, but not much. And so what is impacting my ability to live a Christ-like life? The judgment of the debt. Thank you. And so, so can I, I mean, so maybe I can, sh you know, I can shift it a little bit to look at the debt and be like, okay, no, this is not, this is not impacting how I'm showing up, how as a servant of, you know what I mean, of yeah. Christ as a disciple of him, it's not impacting that at all. So why do you have to bring that in? Well, if you think about it, we're not going to name any names, but let's say it was my goal to keep you from doing your best work as a Christian. Right. Let's say that it was right. my goal to distract you from that, to divert your energy away from that. And I'm looking for ways and opportunities to occupy you in non sort of non-Christian thoughts, feelings, and actions. One of the best ways for me to do that would be to get you to fixate on compute on numbers on a computer screen. Yep. And, and, send energy in that direction instead of saying i'm a person who has a car payment whatever who can i serve <laughs> right 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 
versus net where it's like I'm a person who has a car payment. I am terrible. I, I am not repent. doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. 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 Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Okay. We in early, I don't know if uh, if you saw the slide earlier in the call, but there are types of debt and there are reasons for borrowing. Yep. It's worth having a discussion with yourself and your husband about your reasons for borrowing. It's worth asking right. yourselves whether you like those reasons. Right. And having done that, let's get back to the work that matters in this world. For sure. You made the decision. It's not, it's not any indicator of any success anywhere in your life. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I have a, I have a very good friend who is um, staunchly anti-debt and, um, and I've, I've sort of, we, we kind of grill each other on it because we really do bring different perspectives to it. And I asked him a question once and I said, do you think that we talked about car payments in particular? I said, he was talking about one of his employees and he has a financial business and she had borrowed to buy a vehicle. And he said that she had sort of not confessed it, but it had come up in conversation. And he said, oh, she's not sure how she feels about having borrowed for this truck. And I said, well, I said, let me ask you a question. On any given day, do you think she actually cares that there's that balance on that truck? And he's thought about it for a minute. He's like, no, I don't. I don't think she cares. I think she only cares when she thinks about maybe me finding out or someone else finding out or sort of breaking the rules of yeah. being a financially savvy person. Right, yeah. I'm like, right. So I don't want any of us to go borrow a bunch of money that causes us undue strain in our lives. But do you think my $700 car payment really impacts me day to day right now? It just doesn't. Right. Totally. So about twice a week, I'm like, why am I not paying off that balance? It's right there in the checking account. Why am I not doing that? I'm like, I don't know, but I don't really care. It doesn't really matter. Right. That's my take. You can all send me emails to the contrary. Stephanie, no, thanks for coming it. on screen and chatting with me. Cool. Thanks for bringing me on. Great to be here. Okay. See ya. Bye. All right. Let's bring this, let's wrap up with one or two more slides. So increase your surplus, increase your surplus by increasing your income and or decreasing your desire put that surplus to work, however feels amazing to you. And then be humble enough and honest enough and introspective enough that as you put that surplus to work, check in with yourself periodically to say, do I like what my surplus is doing for me right now? Or do I want to tweak how, I, how I'm using the surplus? We, sometimes we treat all things financial as very static when they are the most dynamic things in the world. So however I start down the path of finances, between paying down debt and, and increasing savings. At any point on that path, I can make adjustments because I'm a smart person and you're a smart person. And we can just be like, well, I'm going to shift some money away from the debt pay down toward the savings, or I'm going to shift some money away from the savings and toward the debt pay down, or I'm going to shift some money away from both of them and go on a trip. All of these are viable options. You are smart and you're an adult and you can figure out your values and live according to those values. And you can do it with your eyes wide open. You can acknowledge the trade-offs that come by paying off debt or increasing savings or taking a vacation. You can take, the, take ownership of those trade-offs and then adjust your behavior, behavior accordingly. Homework one, identify your biggest debt-related priority. If you have debt at all, you might not. 
Is your biggest debt-related priority right now to reduce or understand your borrowing, or is it to pay off existing balances? Reducing, uh, reducing or eliminating borrowing is about understanding my spending habits today. Paying off balances is about increasing my surplus over the next days, weeks, months, and years. Figure out which one is your biggest priority right now. Homework two is to have a calm, compassionate conversation about why you borrow or about why you borrow in the past. This is kind of what I did with Rachel earlier. It's what I just encouraged Stephanie to do. Why did I borrow or why am I borrowing? Don't rush to a conclusion on that. In our very first money school class, I asked you to go have sort of an internal conversation, but to stretch that conversation out over a period of time, days, weeks, and months. Give yourself an opportunity to have insights and inspirations bubble up. So you can say, oh, that is why. Interesting. Do I want that? Do I not want that? So make it a calm, compassionate conversation. If you really struggle to have a calm, compassionate conversation with yourself about debt, find the calmest, compassionate, most compassionate person you know and have a conversation with them. Might be a life coach. I love life coaching for this sort of thing. Another option will be in the next couple of weeks, you're going to hear me, you'll, you'll see me send out the details for what I'm calling money school groups, which is where we'll gather in small groups. We'll spend about 12 weeks together. We will implement everything we've talked about in money school, including some of these calm, compassionate conversations. So those, do, those details are coming. In the meantime, you're all awesome. Thanks for showing up to week five. One more week to go. A lot of you have been here every week with me so far, and I'm grateful for that. The recording will be out tomorrow. And at the very latest, I'll talk to you all next Wednesday when we talk about money and relationships. Have an amazing week, and I'll see you soon.